Not sure what to expect or how to navigate the interview process? Want to make sure your personal statement hits the mark? AMPS's new program, Applied Match Preparation, or AMP, has been created just for you. Get personalized, one-on-one assistance from a team of experts and get ready to shine during the application process. Visit AMPSA.org AMPSA-AMP to get started today. A quick note before we begin. Since this episode was originally recorded in 2016, some sources' details may have changed. On with the show. When the gun went off, I mean, I was I was sort of expecting like something will happen, but I was still startled by the sound or the noise of the gun. It kind of took me took me back for a second. Roger had a front row seat to violence, and then he had a chance to think about what to do next time. Welcome to the AMSA AdLib podcast, where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. What would you do if there were gunshots at the hospital? Would you have time in the moment itself to weigh ethical considerations, personal safety, and protocol? Probably not. It only took a one-day training to dash Roger Gerard's fantasy that he could outrun a speeding bullet and overpower an attacker. But he also learned some more realistic lessons. You can't really predict these situations. You can only prepare for them. And you don't know when it's going to happen, so you just have to be ready. You have to make a decision and you have to stick to it. And uh, you have to be aware that you don't have superpowers and you're not going to run away from a bullet. The training Roger attended was held jointly by several healthcare organizations and disaster healthcare coalitions in Florida. Rebecca Apple helped organize the conference. Hi, my name is Rebecca Apple. I'm the Senior Manager of Programs for the American Medical Student Association and a bioethicist. This is an active shooter incident in healthcare survival functional exercise and demonstration. So it's designed to help healthcare professionals understand, number one, the way they may react and feel in this kind of situation, as well as to gain some tools and knowledge so that they will better understand the established best practices for dealing with something like this. At the conference, Rebecca presents on the ethical obligations of a physician in the midst of an active shooter attack. She says there are obligations based on the public's expectations, but there are also self-determined obligations. It's a huge question in ethics. A lot of folks will say that it is the healthcare professional's duty to stay with patients. Others feel as though they essentially have an obligation to themselves and to their loved ones to remain safe as well. So I think when we look at the concept of obligations, we have to be really clear about who it is we have made obligations to. Though we hear news anchors say that attacks have become familiar, on the ground, in the moment, that familiarity is not at all apparent. It does evolve, unfortunately. Um, These situations, no two are alike. I think the takeaway from this really is some insight and to better understand yourself. There are, of course, like I mentioned before, best practices that have been developed by law enforcement, Um, And also we can learn from the unfortunate past experiences of other healthcare professionals. And she, she pretty much talked about how, uh, how you have to commit to making a decision. If you're ever faced with a situation like that, would you hide or would you run or would you fight? And had me posing questions that I've never really thought about before. 
And what factors should physicians be considering when they are thinking through their response in advance? There are four principles of bioethics that physicians are taught relative to uh, their responsibilities and their obligations to patients. And so one includes autonomy, which means respecting what the individual patient wants. The other is distributive justice, meaning that everybody has access to the care they need, when they need it, uh, where they need it, why they need it. Um, the other is beneficence, which is weighing risk versus benefit and communicating that to affected parties. And the other is non-maleficence, which is do no harm. So I think on some level, at least one of those principles of bioethics flits through the mind of a physician. And it can become very difficult to parse out beneficence, meaning risk versus benefit. If a physician doesn't stay, um, how many lives will not potentially be protected and saved versus if a physician does decide to protect herself, how many lives can she then save later? So I think that that is probably the biggest sense of professional and personal responsibility that becomes burdensome in those moments. But what we also have to remember is, you know, physicians obviously are people and there's stark terror in these moments. You know, many times, you know, a hospital will go on lockdown. You don't know where the shooter is. Um, right here in Florida, one of the hospitals where I'm involved on some committees, there was an active shooter and I heard about it on the news before some of my colleagues working in the hospital even knew there had been an incident on campus. So there's just, it's just such a maelstrom that happens. Um, it's, it's hard to predict. Part of the day at the conference includes live action scenarios and demonstrations. They aren't easy to take in. We're firing blanks and it's sounding really real. People are screaming. Um, it was, to say the least, it was stunning. Um, for some of the people who are not prepared. So you absolutely need to make sure that this is carried out with clear communication. Everybody understands when it is happening, what is going to be happening, so that there really that there's no shock. Um, this is this event is what we would certainly classify as uh, being a trigger, which means it can trigger individuals with PTSD or um, just basic innate fears. So everybody needs to be very sensitive to that. We do use safe words if people need to excuse themselves from the exercise. In one of the scenarios Roger witnessed, there's a conflict between two male hospital staff members over the affection of a female staff member. As the three care for patients on a dementia ward, the two men begin to jostle each other. And then from that point on, the tension started building up. You can kind of feel it. Things get loud and physical. The woman tries to intervene, but can't calm the men down before it's too late. And during the altercation, you can kind of see one of the guys, the smaller guy, he was um, reaching for something behind him. And from where I was sitting, you couldn't tell what it was. Roger, of course, was expecting something to happen because of the nature of the conference. Was the man carrying a gun or maybe a knife? And I, I was sort of at the edge of my seat at that point. And eventually he, he like pulls a gun and like shoots the guy within like seconds. It, it, it happened super quick. The staff member who has been shot falls to the floor. The shooter runs to another area of the hospital. Later in the exercise, he takes his own life. Even though he had been expecting the altercation to end in violence, Roger was still struck by how rapidly it unraveled 
and how common the fight had seemed beforehand. I see people have altercations all the time when I go out, either at night or, or just just most a lot of places. But um, I thought it was very surreal how he pulled out the gun and shot the guy within like one and a half seconds. It all happened really quick. When the gun went off, I mean, I was I was sort of expecting like something will happen, but I was still startled by the sound or the noise of the gun. It kind of took me took me back for a second. It's hard not to see training on active shooters and terrorist attacks working their way into medical school. But if this sounds like a lot to fit into the curriculum, Rebecca says the importance is much more broad. I think that there's probably no way a curricula could successfully encompass everything that a physician needs to be prepared for. But I do think that, you know, disaster management is hugely important. Um, And not just with active shooters, but if you look at the way the Ebola crisis was handled when it came to the shores, we are completely not prepared to deal with these huge kinds of disasters. We have fantastic healthcare professionals and wonderful institutions, and we give the best possible care we can, but the resources that are necessary to dedicate in order to deal with disaster management and everything that entails, they're just not dedicated to it. We saw that with Hurricane Katrina, um, and we're going to continue seeing that because that's just the nature of humanity, you know. A disaster has been identified as a sudden onset of overwhelming need and just insufficient resources. And I think that's what we see in times such as this. We Most hospitals have not identified policies on who will stay and who will go and who is obligated to take care of, for example, an Ebola patient. So these are the kinds of dilemmas and quandaries that future physicians at least need to be aware of and they need to think about not just in the 24 to 72 hours after something happens, but really think about as they are preparing and uh, thinking about their future. Even before it reaches the classroom, there are steps med students can take on their own. The time to start thinking about it, obviously, is not when it's happening. And my hope is that none of our listeners ever have to experience this. But because it is a reality, I do see value in considering these kinds of circumstances and the appropriate response for each person on an individual level, it would be completely appropriate, particularly for, you know, AMSA activists to see if they can create this kind of event, maybe on not such a large scale, but create this kind of event on their campus. And that requires a lot of collaboration and working with a number of institutions in addition to their schools. But I think that would be very valuable. And then I think, you know, at a minimum, starting the conversation, and I think it's an appropriate conversation to have in a bioethics classroom. I think it's a a wonderful opportunity in the ethics setting to explore what we are expecting of physicians and what physicians are expecting of themselves in the realm of ethical care. Roger says he and his friends never talk about the topic, despite its importance. And beside that one event that happened at Florida Hospital, which was nearby us, we, we briefly talked about it. And within two days, it was never mentioned again. 
I think that lack of awareness is unwise because this is a very possible situation for us in the healthcare setting. And it's better to be prepared for it than not to be prepared because that can make all the difference. I remember after I went home after the conference, I actually stopped by Walmart to get some groceries and I was um, thinking, okay, well, this Walmart only has one exit. If a gunman were to come to this Walmart to like rob it or something, what would I do? Like, where would I hide? Where's the bathroom? Where's a good hiding spot? And I was just being a little bit more aware, just, just, I guess, just being training my mind to be a little more keen. AMSA Adlib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Joey Johnson is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Not sure what to expect or how to navigate the interview process? Want to make sure your personal statement hits the mark? AMSA's new program, Applied Match Preparation, or AMP, has been created just for you. Get personalized, one-on-one assistance from a team of experts and get ready to shine during the application process. Visit amsa.org slash amsa-amp to get started today.